Let's do a little opinion polling, shall we? Uh, this weekend, of course, this week rather, uh, you're going to have, I'm sure, no doubt, many opinions shared across the dinner table. Um, maybe you'll just jump right into religion and politics. I don't know. Uh, could make Thanksgiving fun or lonely. I don't know which one of the two. Uh, but let's go ahead and do a, something not quite as severe. But I want to ask you about about food. Thanksgiving food, because there's lots of different types of Thanksgiving meals, and of course we have traditional Thanksgiving and non-Thanksgiving. So, but I just kind of want to ask your opinions on traditional Thanksgiving flavors. First of all, and so we're going to vote on this. This is actually going to be a vote, okay? And these these rules stand. I'm sorry, I didn't make the rules, but here they go. I want to ask you about your opinion on sweet potatoes. No, no, oh, I haven't asked, I haven't told you what to vote for yet here, okay. All right, raise your hand if they are delicious. All right, several of you with bad taste, all right. Uh, and, and, and raise your hand if they are disgusting. That is correct, that is right, that's right. So, uh, any vegetable that you have to cover with marshmallows, and even then people are like, eh, okay. See, I offended some of you. Well, don't worry, there's the rest of the sermon, hold on. Let's talk about cranberry sauce. How do we do it? We do it from the can or homemade? Which one? Okay, raise your hand if it's from the can. All right, a few of you interesting people there. Okay, uh, homemade? Homemade is the way to go. Okay, this is a trick question. Actually, cranberry sauce is disgusting, so we don't need it at all. All right, never gotten applause in a sermon, but we were close right there. Let's talk about stuffing. How do you do stuffing? From a box or homemade? From a box or homemade? We got the audible votes here. That doesn't count. This isn't Congress. All right. From a box, raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> Homemade, all right, is the way to go. How many of you have questions about whether stuffing is a real food? <laughs> all right. The last and, and, and really the most important one is pie. Do we go with pumpkin or I'll call it apple, but just any fruit variety there. Pumpkin or something else, okay? Pumpkin, raise your hand. All right, all right, okay? All the correct people and fruit. All right, oh, you all are like me. As you can probably tell, I don't discriminate when it comes to pie. Uh, This is as long as it's not a chicken pot pie. Uh, that, That right there is an abomination. You can find that in the book of... Second opinions. Uh, (laughs) It's interesting when you think about your opinions on food. We all have them, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, right or wrong. When it comes to opinions, though, we have to be really careful. I have to actually do this every single Sunday. And that I, like you, am a human being. I have my own biases. I have my own predispositions. I have my own opinions about things. And so I have to be real careful, and certainly we all have to be careful when we come to the Word of God, that we don't let our opinions shape the Word, but in fact we do the opposite and let the Word shape our opinions. It's important that we understand the the difference between opinions and truth. And what we're going to talk about today in this series that we've been doing for a few weeks now called You've Heard It Said. And this series is really based on this juxtaposition between two ideas, between what culture taught and what Christ taught. Uh, a comparison between what's popular 
and what is actually true. Now, sometimes there's overlap there, but not always. So, so far we've talked about some, some common ones in the culture. First is don't believe your heart or don't follow your heart. Uh, follow Christ instead. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceptive and your heart is easily misled. Last week we talked about don't believe in yourself. Believe in God and trust in Christ. And that's an important distinction. Um, in this series, we have taken the Berean attitude from Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now, if you're not familiar with that, uh, the Berean Jews are described as uh, those of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, and here's why. The reason is because they received the word with great eagerness, what Paul was teaching, but they examined the scriptures every day to see if what they were being taught was true. Was it just something that Paul believed, or was it really true based on the Word of God? And so that beautiful Berean spirit is simply one simple question, and it's this, what does the Word tell us? What does the Word say about the issue, or the matter at hand? It's easy to know our opinions. Okay? Uh, earlier this week, my daughter said, Dad... Can I get your opinion on something? I said, absolutely. I am an expert on my opinion. I know exactly what I believe. But we got to be careful when it comes to putting our opinions into the Word of God. The cultural wisdom that we're dealing with today is one that you've probably heard. Speak your truth. There's variations of it. Speak your truth. Live your truth. Uh, say your truth. But we live in a your truth culture. And this is kind of a, it's not a new thing, but I'm hearing it more and more often, even amongst Christian people, the idea of your truth. Now, amongst those three simple words, speak your truth, I got no problem with speaking. That's kind of my work, you know. Uh, I got no problem with truth. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. The problem is right there in the middle, your. That adjective is... The biggest difficulty, because it makes truth fluid and subjective. If we have 650 folks in the pews, the idea of your truth means there are 650 different truths out there. And that is incorrect. And that's not my truth. We're going to look at what God says about it. So, we've we got to be very careful that we don't make Christianity... And Jesus Christ, just one of many good options in the spiritual buffet line. That's the, in fact, I'm convinced that's the most difficult part of being a Christian in this culture is not that we're attacked, not that we're persecuted for being Christian. I think the enemy is much more effective when we're not martyred for our faith. But in fact, the opposite happens. And so Christianity just becomes, oh, that's your truth. Oh, you believe in that Jesus guy. Well, you know, he's a good teacher. He's a good man. We can certainly learn a lot for him. I just don't subscribe to that myself. But that's good for you and your family. That's wonderful. You see the challenge there of, of having the truth in a your truth culture is very difficult. Now, if we think about it, if we think real hard about it, no one truly believes that truth is fluid. If we did, then when we got on red 
you know, news stories on social media, there wouldn't be any such thing as fact checkers. If truth is relative and subjective and personal, then there, there would be no such thing as fake news. See, we, we really don't buy into, it sounds good, but we really don't fundamentally in our core believe in the idea of your truth. If we did, you know, social media would be a lot politer place. <laughs> there'd be no arguments, there'd be no back and forth, uh, there'd be no uh, of the behavior that we are prone to see, there would be no, none of that because everybody has their truth. But see, we understand there's something within us that, that when I made my op- opinion about sweet potatoes, some of you got real defensive. What do you mean? And on Thursday, you're going to go up and scoop up a big help and say, I don't care what the preacher says. There is something within us that knows there is truth. And there's something even deeper that knows it's real and it's objective and it's universal. We don't want pilots flying planes according to their truth. We don't want Eric Middleton saying, come on, we are going to Mexico and I'm going to get there by my truth. No, we want him following the compass. We want him to have a flight plan. We don't want engineers building buildings according to their truth. We don't want your surgeon to come in and introduce himself and say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be feeling around in there, seeing what we can do, if there's any extra things. We don't want that. We don't desire that. We don't want that. We don't want electricians wiring our homes according to their truth. We want to know that they've been trained, that they know how to, to handle a circuit properly and to do, to do it in a way that's not going to cause a fire hazard. We know instinctively that there are truths and there's, there's everything else. Despite our world's attempt, despite our enemy's attempt, is really what it is, your truth is nothing but the enemy's desire to help bring more confusion and more chaos into the world. And that's why I love Jesus. Man, didn't he do such a beautiful thing when he came into the world to bring the truth and to be the truth and to tell us the truth. Turn in your Bibles, speaking of truth, to John chapter 17. And let's look at a couple of places where Jesus had something to say about the truth. Now, in John 17, we're in the middle of a prayer. Jesus is talking here to the Lord. And we're not going to go through all of it, although it's all good. But as he begins to pray about his disciples in John 17, he says, They are not of the world. This is verse 16 of John 17. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then in verse 17 of John 17, He prays this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus, before he leaves, in his prayer for all of them and for all of us, 
He asks God to sanctify, to, to make holy, to, to, to lead us into righteousness, to lead us to him by the truth. And so it was Jesus' prayer that we all would not just know the truth, but submit to it and yield to it and live by it. Jesus wasn't really a your truth kind of teacher. That's not what he came to do. If you understand Jesus in that way, then let me reintroduce you to Jesus the Christ who was very clear about the truth. Here's a couple of things. Number one, the truth is vastly, vastly different from your truth. Now, he says here, your word is truth. See, truth is God's language. The scripture tells us he cannot tell a lie. Now, you try to think about that. You and I can't say that. We've all told lies, whether we qualify them with uh, colors or adjectives, great or small, we've all told lies. God can't do that. He, He doesn't have the ability. Truth is his native language, and he can speak no other tongue than the truth. But Satan, what did Jesus say about the, Satan? He called him the father of lies. He went on to say that, that, when he, that when he lies, he's speaking his native language. The truth, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus will say this about the truth. Matthew chapter 24. He's speaking, he's kind of answering two questions here in Matthew 24. Now, you people usually think he's only answering one question, which is when at the end of the age. But he's answering two questions if you really look at it. He's saying, when, when is the temple going to be destroyed? And that's, he's answering one question. And then, when is the end of the age going to be? So in answering these two questions, he goes through, and right before he talks about the second question, he says this in verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. Truth is not only God's language, it is timeless. And you and I can't say that either. Our understanding grows with time. Hopefully your understanding of the world is greater now than when you were five years old. You had a limited understanding, but as you grow and mature, you learn and understand the truth more. Well, God's word is timeless. It's not evolving. It's not changing. Uh, there, there is no new gospel. It, it is one truth forever. And that's a beautiful thing, that we can trust in its timelessness. Third, the truth is objective, not subjective. And this is the difference between my, my fun little poll at the beginning. That's all an opinion poll. But truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. Um, it's, It's the difference between truth that is subjective is the truth that is subjective is called your opinion. And not only will your opinion change with other people, your opinion will change over time. You'd be careful when you interact with people's opinions because that gives their, forms their opinion on you. If I'm an iPhone guy and I say, I love iPhones and I hate Androids, what, what have I done to all the Android people? They, they don't dislike their Android phone, they just dislike me. 
right? So we got to be careful, very careful with our opinions because those are very fluid. But facts are greater than our feelings. The word is more timeless than your heart. And so in a culture that increasingly leans upon feelings, listen for the phrase, I feel like. That's one that's all throughout our culture. You know, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like. And, and I don't, I'm not judging anyone who says that. I just want to say that's something subtle in our culture where all of a sudden we say, I, this is my feeling on it. It's not, well, the truth is, well, the fact is, so that tells you something about the culture that we want subjective truth. And the fact is, there's objective truth. And finally, the truth is, is universal. Uh, turn to John chapter 14, verse 6. Just a few chapters over. When Jesus talked about the truth, he, in John 14, said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, see, that is a universal truth. That was true 2,000 years ago. It's true today. We have, to, we have to understand that. That the truth is different from your truth in a lot of ways. And especially when we understand it's universal. It applies to all people at all times. It's not relative, nor is it subjective. So, as we, as we think about how much different it is, may we also understand that the truth is superior to your truth. So, when we talk about your truth, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, and may I say this with the greatest love, you are ignorant, and so am I. Our hearts are wicked and self-deceived. Our opinions, our emotions are fickle. And we are finite in nature. But God's truth, God's truth, in addition to being objective and timeless and universal, God's truth does something that your truth will not. Now think about this. God's truth is the only truth that will cut you, that will correct you, that will offend you, that will condemn you even. Tristan mentioned Romans 6. Okay? For the wages of sin is death. That's from the Word. That's talking about you. That's saying you and I have earned through our sin death. And judgment. But the word also saves and sanctifies you. See, when I'm speaking my truth, my truth never offends me. My, my truth always agrees with me. And, and that's why we've got to be very careful in mixing the truth with my truth. And sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I just feel... Like God 
is calling me fill in the blank. Okay, did he? It seems like God's calling you to what you already wanted to do anyway. It would be like me saying, I feel like God is calling me tomorrow to eat a Chick-fil-A. But is he? Or did I just take what I desired and I wished and I wanted and I felt and stood on top of a Bible? You see the danger of it? When you open the word, it just is, it truly does hit you and correct you and change you. Oftentimes God commands us to do things that we don't want to do. Often God tells us to to stop doing things that we want to do. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, the verse that's on the screen, but I want to read both verses. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul's writing to a preacher here, and he's, he's talking about the importance of being a scriptural preacher. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, he writes, All scripture is breathed out by God. So, there we see again, the truth comes from God. And it's profitable, it's useful, it's helpful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training. Now, how many of you like these things? Is it always a pleasing experience to be taught? Is it always a pleasing experience to be reproved or corrected or trained? God's word can and does slap you around. It's not the preacher slapping you around. It's the word. If we'll yield to it, it'll slap us around. You ever been mad at the preacher? Oh, you didn't want to answer that one, did you? <laughs> oh, can I confess there was a time when I was mad at the preacher? Oh, man, I was mad. I was a teenager. I was sitting right here in the youth group, not in this youth group, but in where our youth group sat at the time. And, and the preacher talked about, he brought up the subject of the death penalty. I was a very young, immature Christian. I didn't know the word very well. And he said, he preached that, the fact that God gives governments the authority to invoke the death penalty. And I did one of these right in the the youth group pew. I was like, what? You guys hearing this guy? That can't be right. That can't be right. That doesn't doesn't jive with my understand. But he kept right on going, like my opinion didn't even matter. After the service, in a very respectful way, because I honored this preacher very much, I said, Clifford, I'm sorry, I was, I was about 14, so I was like, oh, Clifford, can you, can you show me, can you, can you show me the word where it says about the death penalty? And I loved what he did. Patiently, lovingly, he said, absolutely. 
He said, I want you to go home and I want you to read your Bible. We're going to turn to it. I want you to open your... And he opened his Bible. He said, I want you to turn right here to Romans 13. And I want you to read Romans 13. And after you read it, come back tonight and we'll talk about it. And I read Romans 13. And I thought, wow. Okay. And from that point forward, I changed my opinion. I, I didn't let my opinion shape the word. I let the word shape my opinion. And, and he, could have, he could have told me himself. But what did he do? To a 14-year-old told me, he said, look at what the truth is. Because the truth is superior to your truth. Well, that's true with all sorts of things, okay? That's just a simple example. But the word really will put you in your place, and it should. The writer of Hebrews, if you're following along in your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The writer of Hebrews makes this comparison to Scripture. He says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the attentions of the heart. Now, a lot of study has been done on that and the exact difference, but, but what it's really saying here is God's word is precisely sharp. God's truth cuts like a surgeon's scalpel. You take a surgeon, a man or woman who's been trained, and they take years before they actually get the scalpel in their hands. And it's so sharp, it's so precise, it's designed to cut in a, in a certain place. that you only place that tool in the hands of those who've been uh, properly trained because the scalpel cuts through and can do great damage if not handled correctly. The word is the same as that. The Word of God will pierce your heart. The Word of God will cut out the cancer of your sin. The, the, the Word of God will carve you into the image of Jesus. And none of that will feel good. But like a surgeon, the Word cuts you only to heal you. And so we must read it, know it, Study it and apply it because a sword does absolutely zero good when it's sheathed. But we know that, don't we? I mean, we're a people of God on Sunday morning with our Bibles open, hopefully. We, we know that the Word of God is powerful and effective. We know that it does no good if it's in the sheath. We know that, right? I'm not done. We know that, right? For the past year, we've had a growing collection of Bibles. And I know some of them belong to visitors and things like that, but 
But I wonder, every time I walk by the stack of Bibles, is the owner of that Bible, are they in the Word? Are they reading the Word? Are they studying the Word? Are they applying the Word? Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. But only when we read them, only when we yield to them, only when we meditate on them, only when we apply them. This is a not so subtle invitation after the final amen, to come and check the stack, because some of you in here have Bibles up here. A gentle reminder that the Word doesn't do any good unless we're reading it. Listen, 30 minutes a week, it's just not going to cut it. In our culture, where you're supposed to know the truth and live the truth, and submit to it, and bring people to it. How are you going to bring people to the truth of the word if you're not in it yourself? My gentle admonition is, if you're not already, please be in the word. And if you don't have a Bible, by the way, and I'll give it like 10 minutes, and you come up and you find a nice one, and it doesn't have a name on it, feel free. We at Northside want you in the Word. Preacher, isn't that your job? Correct. Yes, correct. But if you just, the only Bible that you get is through me, you realize how much filtering happens? You realize in my process how many scriptures are not preached? You need to know the Word. Your your children need to see you reading the Word. Your families need to be in the Word. It's the Word. That cuts the word that changes hearts. So here's my final question. Because I think this goes one step further. How do we, as Bible-believing, God-fearing, Jesus-loving people, how do we share God's truth in a speak-your-truth kind of world? And I really wrestled with how to do this because in a world that says, well, you know, if you want to follow the book, that's fine. I don't follow it, but your truth is just as good as my truth. How do we, how do we approach that as Christians? And I think I found the answer. And it's right here in the book. Ah, isn't that amazing? You want to know where it is? You'll have to come back tonight to hear the answer. If you want to join us tonight at 5 o'clock, you'll hear more on how to share God's truth in a speak-your-truth kind of world. Jesus said this, You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. If you are ready to be free from sin, if you're ready to obey the truth of the gospel, then I invite you at this time to do so. Don't waste any more time. Make the choice, not just to know the truth, but to follow the living truth of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life.
If you have that need or any other need, we invite you to come. You can head to the back as together we stand and sing.